I'm Anushka Dukas and welcome back to My Life in Seven Charms. For me, there are so few things which can evoke a memory like a tiny, detailed charm. In this new series, I'll be meeting seven extraordinary women and hearing their stories through this very special 18-karat gold biography. In today's episode, we'll be meeting stylist and thrifting pioneer, Bay Garnet. I was on the Upper East Side in New York and I went into my favourite cancer care and on the rail to, to go was this amazing banana print top with big leaves. And to cut a long story short, I used that top on Kate Moss and Jürgen Teller shot it. And so that banana top, when we talk about stories, it's had a real story. So today I'm in West London, which I'm really excited about because I'm going to see Bay Garnet and I'm not going to do it on Zoom. So I'm really looking forward to meeting her. Bay is a stylist and creative director who has been called the Queen of Thrift. Long before the fashion industry woke up to sustainability, she was a trailblazer, rebelling against the fashion establishment by combining second-hand finds with couture. She has that most unusual quality, the restless eye of a maverick. Welcome, Bay, to my life in Seven Charms. <laughs> um, but I'm well. Bay, it's so lovely to be here. Thank you so oh, much. Thank you. Um, first thing that struck me when I came in. What was it? Leopard well, obviously your carpet. Yeah, leopard skin. <laughs> I mean, I know, which I always forget. There now because it's become part of your. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When people go, your stairs, and I'm, oh yeah. I just think of them always being plain, you know. Oh no, I yeah. absolutely love that. So look, they, this is just a. a it's a sketch of the of the oh, charms that we're going to talk about. Gorgeous. Well, first of all, I've just got to tell you that of all my guests, you are the only person that's described your charms the way you kind of saw them or might have seen them uh, in the detail that you did. And I was, so, I was like, she's definitely a stylist. Oh, definitely knows what she wants. It's such a nice thing to think about. I mean, and the other thing is, you may be queen of thrift, but you've got bloody expensive taste. <laughs> We've got a lot of diamonds going on here. Um, So every charm, anyway, so I've tried not to put diamonds all over everything. (laughs) But look, your first charm, um, I love this charm. You you said wire coat hanger. Um, And when you described it, you said, I want it to be like a kind of New York dry cleaner coat hanger. So um, I've done it in yellow gold for the actual shape of the coat hanger. Um, but it's solid yellow gold and it opens so it's a locket so you can put something inside it. But on the edge is, you'll be pleased to hear, awesome pavo diamonds <laughs> to, <Woo>! kind of, <laughs> to kind of have the outline of the coat hanger. Um, and then, then we've engraved um, in the middle, I heart, I think heart should be a little ruby or cabochon. I'm sapphire. so fine with the ruby. You're fine with the ruby. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it should be I heart thrifting um and you can see on the other side it's got oh those three arrows what are they called a kind of sustainability cycle recently exactly so i've engraved that on the back and it's and it opens it's a locket so you can put something Mm. in it i just love it so much um oh well i'm so glad well i obviously i've got i mean queen of thrifting tell me about the coat hanger oh (laughs) Um, well, the coat hanger really comes from, I suppose, when I would go thrifting in New York to the Salvation Army and Goodwill and all the uptown thrift stores. You know, I would actually wear it straight from the shop, but then I would get it dry cleaned. And the hanger really is about going to pick it up in, you know, my local dry cleaner and the paper around the hanger would have the paper and it would say, I love, I heart New York. And so for me, I guess it's, a souvenir, not just of the actual clothes of city life, but also of, I, well, New York thrifting, where, which was where I really became so passionate about it. So it really is, it encompasses a lot, that coat hanger. Well, I can see, I, mean, I love that. <laughs> but for just for, for, for those of us that perhaps don't know the difference, is there a difference between thrifting and secondhand? Well, thrifting is really the act of rummaging the right. act of looking through secondhand and thrifting isn't vintage shopping thrifting it's really an american term 
so in England, you'd say charity shopping, but I guess I love the thing of thrifting. It's a great word. And so for me, yes, it's the same as secondhand in as much as you're going to the kind of source, it's charity shopping as opposed to buying vintage online or it's kind of the okay. real... So I love the way grassroots of it. Oh, yeah. I love that kind of, you know, the way you've got to feel like you are rummaging. I mean, when did you when did you start getting into secondhand? When what what, what brought it on? Um, I started. Um, that's a good question. I started so long ago. I just always loved. I, I grew up in Bath and near Bath, actually in Somerset, near, actually just outside Bruton, and there were loads of local towns, and I used to go out to all the local villages I mean my mother always was a collector and so right from the, when I was young we'd always stop off at junk shops and when we'd go back to Ireland she would stop off at the tinker's yard so I suppose it was always kind of that thing of accumulative stuff but doing it in a way where you were finding stuff and it was cheaper and it was your kind of your find so but if I if you come with me which would be great if you did <laughs> to a second hand shop if I said, look, I want to buy a dress, that's it. <laughs> that's your brief. What would you, where would you, how would you help me get my eye in? Or, I mean, if you were with me, it'd be fine. But <laughs> Well, I mean, I do go thrifting with friends who aren't really into it. And most of the time, or don't really do it that much. And most of the time, kind of end up having a laugh and loving it. And I suppose what I would do is, I would look for a dress, might not find a dress, but I would hold up something else. And I think that the main thing I would say is that it's about having fun. And within that, you will find something or you might find something that might not be your dress, but something really good. And so that would be my that would be my tip would be to just go in with something and then be open to suggestion, be open to fun and you'll probably find something that you do really like that might surprise you, but it might not be the dress. No, I mean, I've, I've got lots of things, but it's just like, and then you've got to work out how to put it all together. But that's where. But I bet in. your cob. I mean, as it, as the the, the the jewelry that you, lots of the jewelry you do with the charms. I mean, I bet I love the idea of you loving car boot sales, where it's so arbitrary, mm. in terms of an object that's quite obscure, turning that into something miniature and jewel like. Well, that's just fun. a kind of genesis of an idea of something yeah. that is, you know, whether it's a. Uh, you know, a light that's fallen off a car or, you know, it's just, it's, it's fun. So I so get the, it's the excitement. same thing as that. I mean, I really get it. But out of interest, is there anything about it that's about the life the piece of clothing's had before? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, for me, it's just so much about storytelling and the stories around it. And actually, I wrote something, I wrote a little article yesterday about that, um, for the Sunday Time Style, about about my find that I, the one thing I would have kept, my favourite thrift store find. And, um, and, and I always wonder about that. I think, oh, who had this? Not always, but if it's a certain piece. And actually, Rachel Weiss was saying that one of the reasons she loves secondhand clothes so much is the stories around it, like the movies. And it's that same thing of clothes having these stories around them. If you into secondhand clothes, then... The idea of those stories are intrinsic to enjoying all of it. Yeah. I mean, it's like uh, jewellery is like that. I think there's so many paradoxes because jewellery is all about the narrative. So, you know, when somebody finds this charm bracelet in uh, X years, it does, it it will tell the story or even anything, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, gosh, I mean, you say that and absolutely jewellery probably even more so in in clothes in some ways. You know, Edwardian ring, you know. God, who wore that? You know, it's very clear. Yeah. yeah, and even the markings on the gold, it's like, oh God, you know, it's had a, it's had a real life, isn't it? But mm. I, so I, I so, uh, I so get it. Now I've got to ask, it, have you got a favourite secondhand shop in the whole world, or are you going to tell us? <laughs> oh gosh, I mean, it would be in New York. It would be one of the kind of ladies who lunch on the Upper East Side. Right. Maybe the council thrift store where these old ladies work and you walk in and, you know, you look a bit dishevelled and they look at you like, you're really nuts. You don't look smart at all. You know, you need to come and clean. And I love them and I love... And I found amazing things from there. So at the Upper East Side thrift stores, I absolutely love. In London, really good tip. 
I think is the British Red Cross in Chelsea is great on Church Street. Oh, I by the old cinema. Exactly. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and so it's quite good to think about locations. So there, so in Chelsea, you get some of the old ladies who give their old Saint Laurent that they haven't worn for 40 years. And, you know, not that often, but it happens. And that's the chance. That's the fun of it. So that's a really good one. That is a really good tip, actually. Yeah, there, that is a really good tip. Mm. Actually, it's so funny you say that because I bought a, uh, a piece of jewellery, junk jewellery, effectively, in that Chelsea store. Did and it, it started the idea for a collection. It was about 10 years wow. ago. But is that so funny? What was it? That? What was the piece? It was a Van Straten uh, kind of um, neck uh, choker, and it was quite big, all brass, giant like that, and all the kind of things turned and moved. And it's anyway, I still have it, and I it looks great with a kind of you know beach dress all summer. So it's fabulous. great. Actually, look good. Yeah. Is it seventies? Seventies, real seventies. It's just gorgeous. It sounds really good. So, Bate, I'm dying to know what is your favourite piece you've ever bought. Um, my favourite piece I ever bought um, is something that I can't fit into anymore, but I love the fact that it's had a real story and journey with me. And I, to cut a long story short, I was on the Upper East Side in New York and I went into my favourite cancer care. And on the rail to, to go was this amazing... I just saw it and I was like, oh, that's amazing. And I ran over and it is a 1970s... And I have it upstairs. I'll show you a picture, but it's a banana print top with big leaves. <laughs> and I just loved it so much. And it had this really fancy label, like da-da-da, and then Paris underneath. So it was quite posh, actually. Mm. And anyway, when, I, when Alex Shulman said to me, um, would he be a contributing fashion editor... And she said, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I'd never done a fashion shoot before. And I said, can I do a shoot um, using my old thrift store clothes with Anita Pallenberg, who I used to go thrifting with a lot? <laughs> and she said, OK. But and I didn't I didn't really pitch the idea as anything radical. It was just that I had never done a shoot before and I'd only really bought secondhand clothes. So it was just what I wanted to what I kind of knew that I could do and that I wanted to do. To cut a long story short, I used that top. And Kate Moss and Jürgen Teller shot it. Oh, wow. And it became, it's quite an iconic image now because Phoebe Philo saw it from Chloe and yeah. said, can I borrow it? And uh, I went to the Chloe show and it was all Everywhere. over it. Yeah, and, <laughs> and the weave belt that I used and the little shorts. And then... Oh, she'd done the whole thing? The whole thing, used it in the collection. So I was just amazed. But, and then, and then, um, and then Topshop... I remember sitting on the tube and someone was standing there and they were wearing a weave belt and a banana print. print. So it had gone down from, I guess, like thrift store, runway, so thrift store, fashion shoot, runway, high street. And so that banana top has had... I'll show you the two pictures. You'll be amazed. Yeah, I'll show you after. See, yeah. And they, so that banana print top, I guess, just for, when we talk about stories, it's had a real story. And just out of interest, how... How did that make you feel to see it suddenly it, on the It felt tube? really weird. I mean, irritating. Because you're, you're so right. Because, <laughs> irritating. Because, more. yeah, and also not just that, but I guess I was so unhip to commercialism. You yeah. know, my, my, my whole closed life and everything. In a really, I'm not very commercially minded, but I guess that whole, that, it, yeah, I felt really weird. Yeah, I can imagine that. Because, you know, because it, it, it was my your, intellectual it was your property. Thing. Yeah. But now, you know, I mean, I've got that top upstairs and it's like an old friend. It's like, oh, you did well, you know, yeah, you God, just, yeah. from this shoot on Kate Girl Moss. done well. Girl done good. Did that, was that just a one-off or did they, did, having seen the success of that, did Alex say, let's keep going with this? Or No, I mean, Alex used to say to me, I would always slip in secondhand and Alex used to always say to me, you cannot use secondhand in this shoot and I would always slip it in. And when she would come to look at my rail, because obviously before you do a shoot, you have to have your rail approved. She'd be like, oh my God, it always looks like a charity shop. <laughs> so she take it out? No, she'd just be like, how do you make our money? You mix it, you know. Because like, it was just my, it was my kind of training. Yeah. I don't know how, I just always wanted to take the fashion out of it and make it more about storytelling. Okay, so this, your second charm, which you described as a posy of rose, daisy and bay. So it's three-dimensional. Um, 
The bay leaves are obviously bay for you. Um, I've drawn them yellow, but actually they're going to have savorites, which are lovely semi-precious green stones. Mm-hmm. So all, all over them, little little micropave savorites over the leaves. Um, and the daisy is white gold, tiny little leaves, and then yellow sapphires as the centre of the daisy. Heaven. <laughs> and then the rose um, is yellow gold stem, um, and then I think just pink sapphires, not, you know, half open, half, half bud, half open, but very three-dimensional. Um, and then the leaves will be articulated so it can move because I have an obsession with things moving it's like they move in real life yeah it's a real I love the boot I love it so much it's crazy but I know that you know your sisters are called Rose and Daisy but that's quite unusual for all of you it's incredibly romantic names Um, tell me about that oh my father was a real gardener and uh, I think they thought I was going to be a boy and they thought that Bay. I don't know what they were thinking. I'm, I'm glad I wasn't a boy, but they were <laughs> going to call me Bay. Or my dad used to joke tumbleweed. But actually, in the end, I was a girl, and so they called me Bay. So yeah, my father was, um, he really, really loved gardening, and he was, he was an amazing gardener, actually. And then towards the end of his life, when he couldn't garden anymore because he had this neurological um, condition, which meant that it was very hard to uh, do stuff like that. And um, so he'd... My parents actually had this meadow in Somerset that became, they, they were conservationists. I mean, not on a grand scale, but in their own way, as much as they could be. And they really were. And they, they preserved this meadow, which became, it's a site of national scientific interest now. And it has... sort of rewilding, kind of thing, is it? Exactly. Before, you know, before they were doing, was, yeah, yeah, like in the kind of late 80s, they yeah. started. And so they built, they did do amazing stuff with nature the field anyway my father did this book um, with my mother called a year in the life of an english meadow and with a botanist he pressed every single flower and grass in this meadow and it's incredible this book is beautiful and it had so many wild orchids and and so you know i uh that's why you were called that's why i was called bay yeah so (laughs) bay bay is yeah that's why and my sisters yeah rose and daisy so Oh, such pretty name. So, Bay, tell me a bit about your childhood. How, you know, what was childhood like for you growing up? Because, I mean, your mother was obviously extreme, A, extremely beautiful. Oh. Um, and, and, and she worked for Vogue and she wrote and, and still does, I think. But tell me, tell me a bit about kind of growing up and what, what, what was it like? Yeah, I mean, it was, I was, you know, really lucky. I was brought up until I was nine in Gloucestershire in this sort of, Elizabethan house um that my father did the garden and it was he did a beautiful garden and it was open to the public I mean it wasn't huge but it was it was kind of he did a grotto a rose grotto you know he did all this he really transformed it he also was an engineer like he worked really hard but he spent every moment in his garden so yeah it was it was full of people at weekends and really great people like my dad's best friend was George Melly so kind of his friends were surrealists and friends with lots of different people, like not conventional kind of. My dad was a kind of amazing combination of being, he had such a brilliant eye and he was so understated and modest. And he had these kind of really interesting friends who all loved him because he had these kind of, he was, he was very unusual. And he devoted a lot of his life to education later on in his life. But my childhood, you know, I was really lucky in that my, I had my mum, yeah, my mum and my dad were really full of people and full of life. You know, people who just different. came to stay all the time. I don't know how my parents did it. They must have been exhausted. Oh, for goodness sake, that was the time, wasn't it? The 70s, right. 60s, 70s. It was just, just like everyone came to yeah. Party City. <laughs> party right. Central. It was a different time. Yeah. yeah. My yeah. life isn't like that at all. <laughs> um, and was your mother around a lot? Because I know I mean, she, she did this rather amazing book for Vogue, didn't she? Oh, uh, yeah. No, she was. She worked from home a lot. She, she went to London a lot too. But, yeah, and she wrote um, the Vogue book of fashion photography. And was that a big influence? And that was life? a big influence, yeah. It's it a great book, actually. I've always referenced it, especially earlier on in my career. But, um, yeah, with kind of all those images of Deborah Turnville and you know, Helmut Newton and... Bob Richardson and that kind of 70s photographs that I was very much drawn to. 
And 70s has always been my favourite decade. And I think that's probably because I poured over those images at that time in real life from her reference books and stuff, yeah. It's all very relevant again now, isn't it? I I know. (laughs) I think it always was, yeah. Okay, on to your third charm. I love this. So this is the Empire State Building. Um, yeah, I love it. So again, I mean, you describe this very specifically. You thought it needed to be the Empire State Building at night, which I thought was really interesting. It's like, oh God, that's really... <laughs> anyway, I'm going to ask you about why at night, but I'll just describe how I see it. So it's a perfect miniature version of the Empire State Building, made in white gold, but covered with black rhodium, which will give it a very dark feeling. And then I just love the idea of it at night. So I thought all the windows could be yellow sapphires, so it's all mm. like the lights are on. Um, and just because I just... I don't know what your memories are, but my memories of the Empire State Building is going up and having a look at the view of New York. So I've made it... You can see at the bottom, it's open and it's a locket. Because oh, uh, I just like the idea of the lift going up to the top oh, somehow or other. <laughs> So, um, first of all, why at night? I mean, were you a big party-goer in New York? (laughs) Well, I I was. And I guess it was before 9-11 and... What year were you So I went to New York in 1996 when I was really quite young. I had a job as an assistant in an office and, um, you know, I didn't have much money and I didn't have a kitchen in my apartment and I just went out a lot. And and it was a lot of fun. It was kind of hedonistic too. I look back fondly, but also a bit, I could have been a bit more serious maybe or something, um, but no point having regrets. But I do remember how much I loved the Empire State Building and the iconography of New York. I would just revel in it, just sitting in a cab and just being in this amazing city that just, um, I was something about New York, I mean, for a lot of people, I, you know, not just me, but I just love that energy. Oh, so exciting. It's just so exciting. My and father was, lived in New York, yes. Wasn't it? I, mm. It's just, there's, no, there's nowhere like it. And it made me feel alive and it made me feel, it was, to me, it was such an escape from London. And, um, and I worked on a fanzine out there called Cheap Day about secondhand clothes. And, you know, along with that was we'd have these amazing parties for the launch of every issue, and people would so dance hold on, all night. Hold on. That's, that's a, tell me about Cheap Date. What, so t- what, what was Cheap Date? The so Cheap Date was a fanzine, basically, and it was about um, secondhand clothes. And my really good friend, Kira Jolliffe, I remember saying to me about years ago, so about 95 or something, around the kitchen table, saying, you know, I'm going to do this magazine about secondhand clothes. You know, would you help me? Would you, you know, would you help me? And... Um, and I guess around that was a kind of bit of a cheap date culture. So we'd have these parties and Giselle would come and Keith Richards and all these Kate Moss live Tyler because they were fun. What, what an incredible bunch of people that turned up at these parties. I mean, how, yeah. how did they all turn up? Well, because cheap date, people loved cheap date because it was, an anti, it was sort of anti-fashion. It celebrated secondhand and interviews Debbie in Nita Pallenberg interviewed Debbie Harry for it. And then, you know, I interviewed Jane County, who's like the first New York transvestite, and interviews with Kim Gordon from Sonic Youth. And then I did a photo story shoot with Kira and the Hilton sisters, where we, we did like a photo story with them, and they turn into like they wear their clothes and they they become converts of thrift stores in their photo stories. So it really had a sense of fun around it. And people really, really liked that. And then Marlon Richards did a great job as the art director. Keith Richards was his dad. And so that you know, so brought that. its own glamour um, as well. And so it wasn't definitely wasn't all down to me. It was a combination of things. Well, what an amazing uh, few years you must have had. Absolutely fantastic quite few fun. years. And how long did Cheat Date go on for? Cheat Date went on for... I think the last issue we did was in London... Um, in, we did the book in 2006, I think, oh gosh, maybe 2003, 2004. So, you know, five, six And years. you did it all that time? Did you, did yeah, you, but we yeah. did it very sporadically. Okay, so just... So it wasn't, you know, it would be like, we're going to do an issue of Cheap Day. And then, and then the last party we had was in Paris at the Café de Paris, and it was crammed, and it was 
so much fun. I just remember dancing on the stage, all these people just going, <laughs> just everyone was just dancing, and that was like the kind of the swan. That was it. Swan song. Yeah, yeah, the swan oh. song. Gosh, it was done. That kind of leads me on to your next charm, um, which is a camera. You know, I imagined it's a Leica camera, and um, so it's three-dimensional, sapphire glass for where the lens is, and then um, where the little window is, where the flash would be, tiny little red ruby. Lovely. Um, And the back opens, and you'll pull down a little lever, and the back will open, so it'll be a little locket. Um, Yeah, it'll be absolutely adorable. But Love it. (laughs) Can you... Tell me about the camera, because apart from the fact that you're a photographer, I think that's it, that's how you met Tom, isn't it? Yeah, my partner Tom Craig is a photographer, a very good photographer, actually. And I remember the first time I met him, he had a camera. I was actually with Charlotte Tilbury, and we were going to this party. And I'd been dumped by someone who I hadn't been very nice to, but I was so upset, and I was so cross. And we were going in convoys for Charlotte somewhere, to a party and I said to Charlotte who's the guy in the in the car driving the car in front and she was like oh darling it's Tom you know and uh you know I said oh right uh. anyway <laughs> went to that party he was going he worked with Médecins Sans Frontières and UNICEF when I first met him and he was like a bit of a cowboy so the next morning he was going straight from the party to Sierra Leone so he was a real cowboy and he was he still is really good looking he was gorgeous and he had this camera and he looked like Harrison Ford Oh, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, no, he was properly like, I'll gorgeous. show you a bit, you know, like, yeah. gorgeous. He's not and here, like, is he? <laughs> no, he's not here, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And, uh, but, you know, of course I wasn't interested because I was, my heart had been you know, dumped. My heart was, I'd been dumped. So it was probably quite good because then he was a bit like, who is this unfriendly old cat? Who is this? <laughs> who is this girl? If I'd been my normal, like, eager beaver self. So anyway, he had a camera. So the first time I met him, and he's always, always got a camera. And he, I've worked with him with his camera. Oh, have you? I've worked on loads of shoots with him over the years. I mean, Stella Tennant and Damascus, we've done loads together. And so for me, a camera, Tom is completely, a camera is sort of intrinsic to him. It's quite a, it's quite a shift from Médecins Sans Frontières to fashion. Well, it, that was... Partly because of me, in that I was doing a road trip story uh, with Alex Shulman with Vogue, and I couldn't, I just didn't know who should shoot it. And actually, it was Alex who said, actually, because Tom was a documentary photographer, why doesn't Tom shoot it? And so we did this shoot with Amber Valletta and the Joshua Tree, and it was really good. And because he didn't shoot it as a fashion story, That's and so all about light and freedom, and it's beautiful. So almost. It was really unconventional. And actually, looking back, it kind of was the sort of one of the first of its kind to do that. Um, and uh, so, yeah, he's, that's Tom. But you're very well known for your photography as well. I guess. I mean, I started taking photographs because I needed to get the job done. I mean, Chloe Sevigny, I took her photo. That was really the first one I took. So I took a picture of her in her swimsuit and a lace dog collar. Uh, for the centerfold of cheap date because <laughs> we always had a centerfold and so sometimes Liv Tyler did one and it was all kind of I'll show you an issue very black and white because we didn't have any money really to do it but um so Chloe Seventy and it's it's a lovely picture oh. and so that's how it started and then so it's always been very organic I did a lot of photographs for cheap date um because we had no budget and but I had you always been a, had you always photographed things or did you just have a camera and thought yeah I'd always photographed things yeah, yeah. I, I I mean not in any proper way not in any sort of intellectual not in any sort of way that was structured or you didn't had a train goal. no I definitely didn't train right and I was as good as anyone else you know in the sense of you know it really depends who you're photographing but I've shot people that I I'm lucky in that I've only shot people that I love and that I want to shoot so I'm not a professional photographer so I'm quite I take some so I shot Rachel Vice, and then I shot Stella Tennant oh so beautiful those photographs I know well that was you know that was a really organic shoot as I say it's all really organic and I was staying with Stella in Scotland and I'd said oh I'd love to take 
oh, she'd do like a shoot. I want to take some pictures. And she was brilliant. She, she went upstairs, disappeared, came back and was wearing her camel fur coat that was Celine. And I'll never forget it. I can picture it so clearly. And she went, literally, a pair of black stilettos, her coat. And she came back down and she was naked, apart from that. And she went, let's make a picture. And so she lay down in the fertilities and we did a shoot together. And, you know, and my son, who was her, she was his godmother, actually. She was his god. Yeah. And he was running around going, Stan is naked. I don't, don't oh, understand. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. And that's the kind of woman she was. And then, and then actually I went to Alex Shulman. I said, look, I want to do a shoot with Stella, but I want, I don't want a photographer to be in the way. I just want to do it. Because you have such a close relationship. Yeah, we were close. Yeah. yeah, we were close friends. And, uh, yeah, and so I said, look, can I take the pictures? And I said to Stella, you know, how would you feel about that? And we did it. And it was amazing. It was, you know, you talk about the best of times in, in your life sometimes. And that shoot, when especially was now, was the best of times. Mm. Because, uh, yeah, because, because... Because. because, yeah, that shoot was very special because we had so much fun. Yeah, God, I, um, and it must have been such a shock to you what happened. Yeah, um, yeah it was. Now, as you might imagine, I love this charm, the leopard. This is charm five. So the moment I walked in the door, I'm like, okay. Now I know why she's chosen the leopard. <laughs> so, um, I mean, you gave me lots of different ideas about how to do the leopard, but I agree with you. I actually think just a little perfect miniature leopard um, made, you know, three-dimensional leopard just walking on the prowl, on the hunt. Love um, and it. And yellow gold and black diamond spots. I mean, it's just going to be completely adorable. But I... Um, I, whenever I think of leopards, all I can ever think of, or leopard skin, mm. the only thing I can ever think of is Dorian from Birds of a Feather. That's so funny. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> really? That's, so, that's so funny. now I'm like, God, actually, that's really rather chic. Anyway, that's you just so funny. talk to me. Oh, about... you see, I don't think of that. <laughs> I think of uh, Anita Pallenberg, yeah. loved leopard, and... I think of it in that way. Um, but I do also really like the way that you think of it too. Yeah, I just, I just, I love, I just love that print. And I guess for me, it's, I mean, it's a shame because it has been done so much now. Who's done it best? Yeah, Bieber did it in a really good way mm. in the 70s. You know, a lot of the high street people, it's not, it looks bad. But I'm very specific about, I'm very, I'm very specific about my leopard print. So I only, I love the, I love it when it is like a leopard, that yellow. I just, I love the animal. I love, I guess it's, I hate the word rock and roll. It's so kind of tacky now. But for me, I guess it's glamorous as well. Like the 1940s movie stars yeah. in leopard coats. And I look, you know, it's more that harking back, that thing of it's been, it's been, I feel like leopard has been pillaged and been, you know, horribly overdone by the high street and everything. So, but if you go back to the kind of essence of the glamour of it, that's what I hark back to. So I got to ask this. So when you're thrifting through secondhand shops and you come across a real leopard skin coat... <laughs> Or not a leopard skull, or just, I mean, they're so full of old yeah. furs, aren't they? So yeah, yeah, I, I have, and, I, and I, I, I have, and I marvel at them, so. and I look at it, but I don't buy it. So should people buy it? Because they're in these Yes, stores. I think people should. I just don't want to wear real fur. It's a personal choice. Absolutely, I think, absolutely, if something's there and it's secondhand and it's, then yeah, absolutely. You... I've done it in the past. I just don't want to. Just, um, just... Going back to that, what do you think now? So now we've got this problem, we've had this fast fashion problem. Now we think we can buy something, wear it a couple of times, give it to the second-hand store. Mm. So do you think it's, it's probably not very good way no, it's of... Very, no, it's mm. very difficult. Mm. It's, it's, it's difficult. It's a problem that charity shops have, and they know it. And it's, I don't know what the answer is. And I have been asked 
um, properly, you know, when I say properly, I mean by someone who it's their job to kind of, um, and I don't know the answer. It's difficult and it puts people off going to charity shops. And so that's why I still, you know, I still love them and I still find stuff and you can really still find things. I'm sure that will change when maybe less is produced. I think that the climate crisis is going to change so much. Now, talking about sustainability, can you talk to me about the amazing pop-up that you did at Selfridges? Yeah, I mean, one of my best friends is this wonderful woman called Alana Weston, um, who is very progressive um, when it comes to the environment and owning a shop yeah Yeah, and so she's and working in a shop working with a shop and stuff so Alana's always known about my love of thrifting and then when you know Project Earth and then it was like maybe I should maybe could I we talked about it maybe have a rail a charity you know rail a thrift store clothes and I was working with Oxfam and so I just loved the idea of having an Oxfam that could be transformed into a luxury space and so Selfridges were incredibly supportive about it. And so it was a dream job in that, you know, I was given this amazing space next to Gucci, opposite Gucci, and everything was sold. But I had real support from them, you know. But it started with a conversation, as these things as do. so many things do. And um, an organic conversation that came from a place of real understanding and mutual love of the environment and of sustainability, and what I really wanted to do was the idea of perception, was shifting perception. It's what happens if you have a really luxury shop with all the bells and whistles in the context of Gucci and Mimi and Prada, but everything's secondhand and everything's at the same price as Oxfam. And it really, really worked. And actually, the really lovely news is, is that I'm doing another one this oh, September. So exciting and so, so right for now, isn't it? You know what, it was Alana, actually, who said to me when we talked about this, when we talk about it, she's like, you know, you get the, with sustainability and that's like, it's like a bug, of course, like Oxfam, a charity like Oxfam, where the clothes, the end game is that, you know, you're selling secondhand clothes and the money that it's raising is going to help the poorest people in the world and fight the injustice of poverty. And for me, that gave me a whole new kind of passion for clothes. Well, not a, no, a continuing passion, it just... Yeah, it's just what I find exciting now. Okay, this is one, I I love this because it's something that I get so perfectly. So Paddy's Paw is your charm six. So you can see on the drawing, actually, I've done two versions because until I met Paddy earlier, um, it was really hard to, to understand. So Paddy is your dog and... You're going to tell me a bit about your lovely doggy. Um, I wasn't sure whether to do it as a big brown scared bear, as you described him. Um, but you, you also talked quite a lot about his, his white paws. And I have a bit of an obsession with my own dog's paws. Um, yeah, we won't go into that, actually. <laughs> Because one could talk all day about it, couldn't you? I could. So I've done it just as a paw because I thought actually making Paddy um, into an actual... uh, But I love the idea of the paw. Anyway, you'll be pleased to hear it's all micropave, white diamond paw, and on the other side it's yellow gold. um, And and, and it's got the kind of indent of where you can put your kind of thumb so you feel like the paw. Um, Love it. So it's... It's very simple, but tell me about your dog. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, but I have another dog called Smudgy that I really love, and she's a lurcher and love. I'd got her from a really nice woman when she was a tiny puppy. And then we were on holiday and suddenly got this weird thing that I wanted a dog. And I don't know if it was because my daughter wanted another dog, but I, we all just wanted a dog. And I went on to Wild at Heart Foundation, which I know Nikki Tibbles who does it and I looked through I was looking through Instagram and this dog just came to me I just saw this dog and I got this thing I and I called up and I said you have to reserve it for me and they said oh it's fine she's available it's a girl actually and um anyway Paddy came and when I went to pick her up right up in the north of England, she came from Bosnia, I, it was really odd because the man, all the dogs were on leads that were being collected and this dog was in someone's arms and I didn't really understand it then. 
But she was absolutely traumatised and very, very damaged emotionally. And... <sighs> so, because she, she's gorgeous looking, but she's a Bosnian... What? Mountain dog. Oh, so she's big. She's big, yeah. And we were told that she was kind of just... She was nine months when she came. And when she came, she had no connection at all. I, I still can't walk her on the street, but I would take her to the park and she would just go and hide under bushes. So she couldn't really walk around. I don't know what happened to her, but she was completely traumatised. Every morning I'd wake up, everything would be chewed. There'd be like dog shit everywhere. Oh and, and in the end, I thought, well, I just can't do this anymore. And Tom and I said, look, I, I, Tom said, we can't do this anymore. Mm. I mean, it was awful. I would spend six hours looking for her while she would hide in shrubbery. Mm. To cut a long story short, I had behavioural experts come round and it just wasn't working. And then something changed. What changed? I don't know. She just suddenly... I, I call it the power of love. I call it the power of connection, but... Mm. Something broke, Trust. something, yeah, something changed. And I suppose the reason why I love her so much now, I always loved her, but I love her so much is because to me, she's a dog, but she's also, I've learned she's an animal, you know, because she's kind of wild. And I guess she's been such a teacher to me in terms of like, sounds so cheesy, but in terms of what the power of nurture and love can do and how transformative it can be. And now... I just love her so much and we have this incredible connection like she'll see someone she'll be scared and then she'll look at me and our eyes will lock and she'll be like it's okay calm and, down and she never in the park I hide behind a tree and she uh, one second of not seeing me and she comes around and she jumps up at me going and so you know we kind of found each other and I, I say that I mean Tom's obsessed with her the kids are obsessed with her because she's just the most loving creature. So that's my Paddy that story. That is your power of love. And I'm looking yes. at Smudge. Who's oh, sorry, <laughs> Smudge. Smudge. Oh, sorry, darling. Smudge has literally collapsed into the oh, sofa. No. He's disappeared into she, the leopard. I know, and she's <laughs> trying to cover her ears. I do love Smudgy. I do really love Smudgy. Smudgy's so wonderful, so uncomplicated oh. and lovely. But I guess Paddy, it's been his journey. Hey, did you have dogs growing up? Yeah, but yeah, I did. But not... But not, 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 I never, this is a new thing for me. Um, now, talking of the power of love, um, your last charm. Um, Gosh, I have to talk about my kids with more love I'm than like, my dog. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, maybe I should have gone the other way, but anyway. <laughs> but your last charm um, is to represent your two children, uh, Bill and Sylph. And again, you were so specific about this. I want to know why, but... Why this particularly? So you said, I want it to be like a kind of old-fashioned name tag. or So you can see how I've drawn it. It's I love it. I love what you've done. Because actually, funny enough, I have absolutely love those oh, tags. I, just, I have that so good. little baby Just so one. good. Like the paper ones. Yeah. Classic. Yeah. Brown yeah, paper. Yeah, yeah, Just so string. good. Yeah, like classic. Yeah. Old-fashioned tags. So it's got a kind of rectangle with, you know, cut-off corners. Um and each one has got as engraved um, Sylv on one and Bill on the other. And again, you were so specific about the font. You know, you talk about the font being kind of real 1970s. Um, and I can't remember the name of the font, but it's old English. Old English, yeah. exactly. Um, anyway, so I've put the, but both of them on one um, bale. So they both hang together. Um, but I just love that. But why did you want... It to represent your children on these tags? Um, well, you know, Billy and Sylvie, William and Sylvie Rose are their names. Sylvie and Rose. I, so, you know, when I'm, I said Bill and Sylv, so Bill, just for, I know, Bill and Sylv. And so I, I, when you hear people talk about their children, like we all love our children so much. So I feel a bit, I feel yes. a bit self-conscious about gushing about my children only because, Everyone loves their children. Does that make sense? It completely like, makes sense. And, and I thought, actually, because I read a quote that your mother um, said, and I just, I, I really kind of, really, really kind of struck a nerve for me. And she said, when you're a mother, you're a hostage to fortune. A plane falls out of the sky, a car crashes, a virus, always underlying the happiness is a foreboding. That underlying sadness heightens the happiness. Wow. That's... That's 
That's amazing. It's amazing. That's amazing. That's <laughs> but that's Gosh, how... but that's exactly it. You're a hostage. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that I think you've said it well. well I my mother. It. Yeah. Well, I definitely didn't all right, say it. All right, mom. Yeah, no respect. <laughs> um, yeah. I think that um I think that's so true. It's so I mean, you know what? I was at a really good friend of mine's house, social distancing in the garden, and my daughter, I couldn't find her. And uh, I couldn't find her and uh, and I found her, and I, I mean, my hands were... I mean, I'm, I'm neurotic about my children. You know, I think we all, most of us are, right? But my hands were, like, really, really shaking. And it's exactly what that quote says. It's, it's that thing of... It totally trans, transcends love. Anything you can understand. You know, it's, it's, it's part of you. And that love of... Yeah. I mean, having children, for me, has as it probably, you know, for you too, is, has been the greatest um, enrichment of life. Yeah. How old are they? So my son, Billy, is 15, and my daughter, Sylvie, is 12. And are they good mates? They, they are. They've become very good mates, actually, yeah. which is great. They're very different. Yeah. As, as people always usually say about their children, you know, it's amazing how different they are. And, but they are good mates. And they, you know, they're really great. Oh. Um, and and you know, are you? Do, do you bring them up? Because it's I think it's things you know things go. Come, what's the, what's the expression? Come around that go around. What's the, what's the, what comes around goes that's around. The, that thank you. <laughs> um, but I'm just interested whether you bringing them up in a kind of similar way to the way you were brought up, or have you gone totally the other way? Um, I think in some ways, but not, I think I was probably more, my mother was hands-on, but my mother also was, she went to London, but I think I've been probably more like every day. I went to boarding school when I was quite young, which I really wasn't happy at at all. So that's another charm. Uh, <laughs> what, not, how old were you? Uh, so I was oh, eight. Oh, yeah, I was eight was, too when I went to boarding oh, school. Oh, it's, it's yeah. a bit young. What school did you go to? Well, then I went to a school um, called Notre Dame Convent. Anyway, it was so girls I had to leave. Sounds like a laugh a minute. Yeah, yeah. Notre oh, Dame Convent. Got, Crumbs. Yeah, I only stayed there two times. <laughs> yeah, I went. And I, but so, and that's it. My, my kids didn't do that. And I was so, yeah, I, they're quite different. I mm. find that quite hard to answer, actually. I'm not sure why, because it's quite hard to take a step back and, a, yeah. and so to be objective about the way that you parent, because you do so much even subconsciously of what you're... Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like... But, yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. I... To some... Yeah, I probably have. But my mum's a great grandmother, actually. She's really fun and she's great and they really love her. I mean, she's... She's kind of she's wild, too. Force. And, um Yeah. Force. Uh, so, yeah. Um, but anyway, sorry, to answer your question, uh, yeah, I think, I think I probably have been quite a different mother. And are they, uh, are they interested in, in what you do? What either of you? I mean, is one veering towards photography? Or Actually, physics? my son Billy is really into physics and chemistry, physics. which is, is so weird because I, you know, I mean, I wouldn't know what to do with a telescope. <laughs> um, and my daughter is very good at. She loves art, and yeah, so they are really, you know, they have they are very different from me, but they do love. They love. A, my daughter loves Portobello Market and thrift clothes. Does she? Does she wear your clothes? Some stuff. Mm. Not not quite there yet, but. Probably she will be. She she'll be yeah. putting a getting into the banana <laughs> top soon. I imagine she can have it. <laughs> she yeah. can have it. Um, um, now, if you could be a piece of clothing reincarnated as a piece of clothing, oh my god, what would it be? I think it would be. It's quite easy for me to answer. Actually, I think it would be a really beaten up, enduring, gets better with age, classic denim shirt. Um, bit cowgirl, cowboy, bit knowing, mm -hmm. faded, glamorous, but also not. That would be, I'd be a denim shirt. Yeah, super cool. Um, I mean, as we've been talking, I've kind of been thinking, God, actually, there is so much parallel with, with thrifting, secondhand clothes and jewellery, as we said before. But what I'd really like to know is when you pass down this bracelet and it kind of tells your story... What do you want your grandchildren or great-grandchildren, what, what, what do you want them to learn about you from this bracelet? What, what would your legacy be? What would you like it to be? 
I think looking at it, this lovely drawing that you've done, um, I think I would always want my grandchildren, and it's something that my dad said to me, was that it doesn't matter what you do, as long as you do something. So I, looking at this, I would just want... And these things, I look at them and they bring me happiness and richness, enrichment and lots of other things. And I suppose it's about doing what you, doing what makes you happy and doing what, and yeah, doing what makes you happy and doing something. Well, they'll be able to see that from all of these. Well, things you know, I, they will yeah, and that. yeah, just living. I mean, you just want your children to be happy, but to be, have a full life. I've still got a lot of stuff to do to make my life full, but there is some that this is this is lovely. It makes me feel like, oh yeah, this is what I love. This is who I am. So yeah, and it is a real insight into me completely. This that's ultimately. Can I say that that it's a real insight? If you want to know your granny, <laughs> <laughs> but that's what it should be. Yeah, if you want to know your granny, then this is. And I love the stories. Because actually anyone looking at this who knows me would probably be able to talk about why. Like my best friends looking at this would absolutely be able to, it would make sense to them. Oh, that's, that's so, I'm so thrilled. Mm -hmm. But on that note, so as you know, I'd like to make you one of these charms <coughs> as, a, as a huge thank you I can for doing this. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm sure we'll twist your arm, but which one will it be? Oh, gosh. I mean, I just, it's so hard because they're all just so amazing. I mean, but I think it would have to be I Love Thrifting because that just feels so like my... The hanger. The hanger. The hanger. Well, I'm so excited. I, mean, I was, look great on there. Here, yeah. won't it? Yeah. Never yeah. take off. And the kind of thing people go like... Thank you so much for listening to my Life in Seven Charms with me, Anushka Dukas. Please do like, review and subscribe to hear our latest episodes. Thank you to Fairly Media for our audio production. <laughs> <laughs>